read the demon text. <clears throat> Good morning. If you would turn with me to uh, Genesis 31, if you have your Bible with you this morning. I've had Mark read that same text over and over each week because really it's, it's a good banner over this entire portion of, uh, of Jacob's life. I don't know about you, I have heard of some extremely wild parties, but I have never heard of a tingly MRE party. <laughs> and I hope to never hear again of a tingly MRE party. That's a great story, brother. Let, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, would you uh, so kindly and graciously direct our attention to your word? Um, Father, as, as you have sought to and have recorded the life of this man, Jacob. Uh, but, Lord, he's not the central figure. Jacob's God is the one that we want to see and learn about. And so I pray, precious Lord, that as we hear much about the people, our eye would be ready to catch the God of the people, uh, the one who is at work behind the scenes in the details of what's taking place in this passage. For he is, you are, the exact same sovereign king. And Lord, we bow before you, we love you, and I pray that we would gain insight into how to relate to you, Father, and how you relate to us from this passage. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to read the text ahead of time because we're going to cover a lot of ink this morning, okay? So my prayer, my hope, is to go from verse 17 to verse 55, <clears throat> which is a large chunk, I get that, but it's such a tight-knit narrative, I don't want to break it up into a bunch of pieces, okay? So if you wonder, where's he going to stop? That's where I'm going to stop. Years ago, um, before my grandfather after my grandfather had learned he had cancer and had fought it for a while and um, knew that his days were getting pretty short and he was going to be with the Lord soon, in a very grandpa-like, my grandpa-like fashion, started to just give away his things to people. Just, do you want that? Well, you can have it. Do you want that? Well, you can have it. You can have it. There's three pictures of a, of a shepherd that are on the walls in my, in my office that he gave to me that mean very much to me. But he gave me a series of messages uh, on cassette from his mentor um, down in California. And it's a series I've listened to over and over again, partially because I'm a bit sentimental, but partially because it's so rich. And the title of the series is The Art of Confrontation. <clears throat> now, when you think of confrontation, perhaps you don't think of that as an art form. Not everybody would. But the longer I'm in ministry and the longer I'm alive and breathing as a human among other humans, the more I see there is truly an art to confrontation. Not just doing the confronting, but how to respond to confrontation. Uh, that if there was one thing that I would say, and I've said this for years, if there was one thing I felt completely unprepared for after leaving Bible school, it was how to confront and how to be confronted well. Um, we didn't talk about that. I didn't learn anything about that. 
So 21-year-old jumps into full-time ministry having no idea how much confrontation he's going to receive and be called to give. And so this tape series, put in my hand by the hands of my dying grandfather, has been a treasure from the Lord. Because there is an art form to it. There is an aspect where at some point you're going to be confronted with something and you're going to confront somebody with something. This morning, this text is jam-packed with confrontation. Now, you guys have probably noticed as we've walked through the, um, this passage, this portion so far with Jacob, the guy's kind of gone around the outskirts to kind of get away from confrontation. Like, <clears throat> especially with his father-in-law Laban, he's been very mild in his language. He's sought to, to make things smooth over a little bit better. He's, he's kind of tipped his hat and, and tried to be kind and generous to a crazy amount of work and abuse. It ends today. In this passage, we're going to see that eventually there's a nose-to-nose confrontation. And I think there's great insight for us to pick up from it, because the, the fact is, in this life, there is confrontation. Sometimes it's really hard, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it just is God's gift right in the moment to help you grow. And I, I see all that here in this text. So look at verse 17. Let's get rolling in this thing. Verses 17 to verses 24 is the first chunk I want to look at. And this is where Jacob and family flee from Laban. And I'm going to be reading uh, uh, quite a bit walking through this. So just follow the storyline with me. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen uh, with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. So here's Jacob finally making the decision, we're out of here. Remember last week we covered where he came with Rachel and Leah and he brought, this is what God's been doing, this is what God's been doing. I've had enough of Laban, he's abused me, he's abused you, I think it's time that we flee. What do you think? And the response of the, of the two wives, of the two daughters of Laban was, yeah, we have no portion here left for us, and what God has told you to do, do it, and we're going to walk in obedience with you. So now these two wives and Jacob and all this huge entourage are ready and willing to go. Let us be going. So he puts them on camels. He says, it's time for us to leave. Did you notice what Laban was up to when they were leaving? It's an important piece. It doesn't say, and that morning Jacob went to Laban and said, Dad, we're gone. Rather, he went to him later when he was confronted by him. Truth is, they're sneaking out. They're going to escape from Laban. They waited till he was shearing his sheep. So 
all the sheep are gathered. He's a long ways away. He's very invested in the work. This is happening in the springtime. And it's a perfect opportunity for us to get everything we have and sneak away. Why is that important? Well, there's, there's something that we're going to see, beloved, throughout this passage this morning that this is kind of the first hint. And that is, namely, Jacob's still scared of man. Now, I'm not, I don't want to beat him up because we're all, to some level, in some ways, fearful of man. And he says as much later in this chapter that he was just flat scared. Now, think about this. This is what's so immense and just unbelievable at times about our folding to circumstances. The living God, who for all these years has protected him, provided for him, and shown him great mercy, has now commanded him, go out from this country. The sovereign king of the universe says, go out and I'll be with you. And Jacob's still scared of Laban. Now, in our self-righteous manner, we could perhaps look at that and go, when's this guy going to get it? When's this guy going to find, when's this going to click that he actually recognizes that God's sovereignly in control? Beloved, what I love about it is that shows us that Jacob's human, just like you and just like me. Did you know God is working all things together for good for you who love him and are called according to his purpose? Did you know there's nothing that can separate the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, for you? Did you know that he's working all things according to the counsel of his will on your behalf? And yet, when was the last time you experienced fear, stress, anxiety, discouragement, as if he's not? Okay, now, so I guess we're all Jacobs. Jacob is certainly trusting the Lord. He's leaving. He is trusting the Lord. But he's still scared of Laban. He still sees the, the, the daunting circumstances that are, that are pressing upon him, and yet... We're going to go and we're going to walk in obedience. So in light of all the circumstances, as well as God's command, it's time to go. Jacob loads his family and they flee. Please notice what Rachel does. Rachel steals the household goods or household gods or household idols. These are particular idols that are owned by Laban. Now, think carefully with me. I realize maybe not all of you got up this morning and pondered this entire text, okay? Maybe you did. Praise God if you did. If you didn't, think about this with me for just a second. What would her intention be to steal it? Remember, this is the same person who just said, hey, what God tells you to do, do. It's like, wow, what a woman of faith. This is fantastic. And then she steals the idols of her dad. Why? What's behind that? What's going on inside Rachel that she would steal these idols? The text does not say. Let me give you just a few options, and I'm sure the answer is not in any of the ones I list. (laughs) But here's a few different possible reasons that could be why she stole these these idols. Researchers have found that being the possessor of the idols may strengthen the case for an inheritance. So all that they're taking with them as an inheritance to have those idols is kind of like a, another level of validation that these are, this is our possession, this is our inheritance. Possible. Number two, maybe Rachel hadn't cleared out all her pagan worship practices. 
Remember, we can, we can paint these guys as white and as beautiful and as perfect and as bright and shiny as we want, but perhaps some of the pagan practices have not been done away with in this woman, and that's why she snags them. We don't know. Number three, perhaps Laban used them in his divination practices, and she was afraid they would assist him in discovering their location. We know that Laban does these practices, and perhaps in her fear of the circumstances around her, she's like, I want to give us the edge and take it away from him, so I'll take away these idols. Possible. And number four, perhaps it was simply out of spite to dishonor the gods and to dishonor her dad. Just one more, a little bit of salt in an open wound. Just a little. I don't know the answer, beloved, but all I know is that the text says with great clarity, as they're fleeing, as they're all loaded up, Rachel secretly stole the idols of her father, unbeknownst even to Jacob. Now, it's interesting. There's a play on words in here. If you look down at your, at your Bible... It says, Rachel stole her father's household gods. It's verse 19. And then 20 says, and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean. Another translation could be, and Jacob stole Laban's heart. And so there's a little play on words here. She stole the idols, he stole his heart. That concept of he didn't tell Laban that we're fleeing, the whole thing is under secrecy. They're trying to trick him and trying to get away without any kind of issue being done. So they crossed the Euphrates, they headed to the hill country of Gilead. After three days, Laban is finally informed of Jacob's exodus. And Laban pursues them for seven days, hot on their trail. Now, don't miss that, okay? Because what Laban says and what Laban does are not in cahoots, which we've seen over and over and over again, where Laban says he's one way and he's actually the other way. Think about as Laban gets himself all ready and all excited to start charging after these guys in hot pursuit, he's going to catch them, let's go, let's get after them. I don't think he's doing that with the intent that he's going to lay in front of them in just a little bit. Let me cut the fat. He's lying. Okay? But look at verse 24. But God, how many times in your Bible does that but God (laughs) interrupt everything? Man is like, oh, this is the plan. This is how I'm going to work it. It's all set up. It's going to be beautiful. There's one ingredient you forgot. The one in charge of all things is going to throw you for a loop. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, it's interesting this wording, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. God's protection is what has shut down this man. I have no um, reason to think otherwise that Laban's pursuit is to do harm. I don't think it's simply to confront. I don't think it's simply for him to whine like he does. I think that as he gathers his kinsmen, there is a posse. And I don't know how many John Wayne films you've watched lately. But typically when people gather a posse, it's not to go deliver a message and visit. So as he pulls together his kinsmen and everybody is all ready to go, there's 
an army on their way, hot on their trail, for seven days. Remember, he got a three days head start, right? So for three days, all of his people are on camel, all of his, all of his stuff are coming, they're all moving, and for three days, here's Laban shearing sheep, word gets to him, he's fleeing, let's go. Everybody get together now, mount up, seven days pursuing him. I have a very difficult time thinking that he's, he's going to all this effort simply to say, you hurt my feelers. I believe the intent in the mind and heart of Laban is to do harm, and one of the biggest reasons I believe that is because God specifically comes and says, don't you do harm. Now, beloved, there's a principle there that is just preachable. That thought that God fought the battle for Jacob. Over and over and over, if there was a beautiful banner you could put over the life of Jacob, it is God fought Jacob's battles. Over and over and over again in God's grace. Did Jacob struggle and suffer at times? Sure. But God in his mercy and grace continually backed him. Remember, that's what he promised. He said, go back to your your land, go back to your family, and I will be with you. I'll be with you in power, I'll be with you in protection, I'll be with you in provision. I am going with you. All right, look at verse 25. Laban pursues, confronts, and puts on a search. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, Now, you add your tone to it, okay? This is my tone I'm adding to it. What have you done? That you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you've done foolishly. Now listen to this one. Remember, remember what he was just told by the sovereign of the universe. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Now, that's interesting, is it not? Seven days, kinsmen all together, traveling, hot pursuit to go catch him. God says, don't you dare do him harm. Don't say anything good. Don't say anything bad. You are now officially in neutral. And then he comes up to him, and he lays it on so thick that his feelers have been deeply hurt because he was planning a huge farewell party. And they ruined it. They ruined the huge party. He worked so hard. I mean, they had all the plastic forks. Everything was all set up. We've learned a lot about the the character and the nature of, of this man. So as Laban comes, he lays it on thick. My desire was to give kisses to my kids and to have a farewell party and lots of music and for you to be sent off the right way. I have no reason but to doubt that he's absolutely lying through his teeth. But God stopped him. God has shut him up. But did you notice what other concern he has? Where's my idols? So as he went home, I mean, you can picture it, right? He goes back to his place of 
of residence, and he's getting all the stuff ready. Kinsmen are all getting ready. He's saddling his animals and whatever. Perhaps there's some weaponry getting prepared, and they're about to leave. And he goes, where'd I put my idols? Honey, where'd you put the idols? And he can't find them anywhere. And so he just immediately throws it out to Jacob. Why'd you take them? Now, can he prove they took him? Nope. Did Jacob say he took him? Nope. But there's the accusation. You stole my idols. Now, let, let's, let's drop down and look at, look at Jacob's reaction to this. <clears throat> well, first, verse 29, just really quick. The arrogance of this dude. It is in my power to do you harm. Do you know how hard and how long Jacob has suffered and labored for this guy? What does Jacob owe Laban? Nothing. Nothing. All right. <clears throat> 31. Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. I love the honesty. We are seeing the transformation of this guy before our very eyes. Guys, each and every week, you could pinpoint it. I'm trying to do that, probably failing, but I, I'm trying to point to each and every week. You come back to Jacob and you go, that's not the same guy as last week. Certainly not the same guy that was tricking his dad, lying to his brother. That's not the same guy. Because he doesn't even make up an excuse to Laban. He just comes right out and says, because I was scared. I was afraid. Afraid of what? Well, look down. Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Interesting that Laban says, you've taken the daughters as if captives of the sword, and Jacob says, I was scared you were going to take them by force. These men do not trust one another, and they have... Um, not a whole lot of reason to. Verse 32, anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. Now, it's not in the English translation, but right at that moment, Rachel went, <gasps> just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes in this study, I'll, I'll be sitting in my office and I'll be working on something, and as I'm working there, I do my best to imagine the facial expression of the individual, because it's not in the text, it doesn't say anything, but how do you think Rachel responded internally when Jacob goes, hey, wherever you find the idols, whoever stole it, we'll kill. Which shows the honesty of Jacob. He had no clue that she took it. He would never say that. Remember, the guy worked seven years and it was but a few days for his love for this lady. But unbeknownst to him, he's, he's really betting pretty big here. He's putting a lot of chips out there by saying... If you find it with somebody, if somebody has done you that wrong, Laban, their life will be given. So Rachel, in that moment, I have no doubt in my mind, had some incredible fear. Because Jacob has become a man of honor. And he means what he just said. <clears throat> now, Verse 32, I'll read that one more time. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of your kinsmen. Point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Okay. 
So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent and did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Very odd way to get away with it, but effective. There's a demeaning of the gods in what she's saying here, because in that time, and eventually it's going to become law from Moses, this means she's saying, I'm unclean for this time. What a way to absolutely stop him in his tracks. He has nothing further he can do. And so Rachel, I was thinking about this the other day, you think about parents when they're thinking about children to find a proper spouse for their kids or something, and they're like, who could we find that would be so well-matched for our son? So you think of of Isaac and Rebecca, and they're like, let's see, we need somebody deceptive. Um, You know, if we can find somebody who's a good liar, uh, doesn't get red in the face when they tell lies. Uh, Oh, Rachel, (laughs) what a perfect fit for Jacob. Evenly matched. So now you got Laban, who's lying through his teeth, Rachel, who's lying through her teeth, and Jacob, who used to be the cheat, named the cheat, is becoming now a man of honor. I think this is such a mishmash of a family. We would fit right in. Okay, so Rachel throws him off the track, and so he searched but did not find the household gods. Now, this is the portion of the text that so gripped my heart because there's something in Jacob. Beloved, he's a man who's growing in his, in his maturity. He's a man who's growing in his honor of the Lord. He's a man who has a better integrity than he used to have. And he has been scared to death of this Laban. And he can't hold it in anymore. And so listen to what is said. Verse 36. Then Jacob became angry. So you just picture it, right? You can imagine here's here's Laban just kind of making a fool of himself, flipping things over and patting things around and lifting things. And where are those gods? Where are those? I know you took them. I know you took them. And, and Jacob's just letting it go, letting it go. But you can tell his temperature's rising. He's getting a little redder in the face. He's just like, this guy's pushing it. This guy's pushing it. Verse 36, in his anger, he, he berated Laban, the ESV says. Jacob said to Laban, what's my offense? What is my sin? That you have hotly pursued me. For you've felt through all my goods... What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. Now listen to this. He lays it on pretty thick. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day. The heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. 
These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. No, God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. It's hard to blame the fellow for blowing his top, right? It's kind of like, okay, 20 years, misused, abused, tricked, with all the smooth language and all of the slippery, slimy manipulation from Laban. You know, you pick your wages, all these little tricks he's done to try to get him to do what he wants him to do. And God in his grace has consistently protected him from Laban. But beloved, there's a missing piece to that that the text doesn't particularly say, but it screams it. That is, God had a divine plan in these 20 years to grow this man in maturity. To grow him up. How do you know? Because he's a man who doesn't say, I worked hard and I am the one who deserves this from you. No, rather he says, all glory be to God. The Lord protected me. The Lord shut your mouth. The Lord stopped you from doing me harm. God, the fear of Isaac, it's one of my favorite terms in the Old Testament in reference, a reference to the Lord, the fear of Isaac. The fear of Isaac guarded me. He protected me. So think about this list, okay? 20 years of service, no miscarriages of the animals, he hadn't eaten the rams of the flocks, he bore the loss of animals that were torn up, he bore that on himself, that which was stolen was charged to Jacob in full, he was burned by the heat, freezing in the cold, 14 years in a very odd way of tricking him into marrying two of the daughters, Six years in order to get the flocks. Wages changed ten times. And a consistent, slimy, soft, manipulative approach to him. After summing up all the wrong done to him by Laban, Jacob then gives full credit and glory to God for the protection and provision. Laban is absolutely no match for the Lord. But the cool part is he's absolutely no match for Jacob. Why? Why is he no match for Jacob? Because Jacob's telling the truth and Laban's a dirty liar. Beloved, you know this, I know you know this, but let me just refresh, refresh your memory and restate this. When you walk in the truth, you fear no man. When you're walking in the truth, you have no reason to be afraid. When you're walking in a lie and you've got the applause and the praise of all the people around you, but you know God knows. You have every reason to be scared. But when you're a walk in obedience to your God, and you know that's the truth and I'm going to do it, you need not fear any man. And so Laban, who we're going to see here in just a bit, is very scared of God and now very scared of Jacob. Everything has been switched around. Jacob's not scared of Laban anymore. He's finally grown up into a mature, growing, godly man. 
And he does not give credit to his own strength, his own prestige. He doesn't even say, it's because of the wives that I have or because of the wealth that I have. He doesn't point to any of that. He says, the Lord's at work. He's the one who's guarded me and protected me. Everything is by his sovereign decree. So, think about this with me. You're Laban. You have been shut down cold. Now what? One word. Grovel. Look at your Bible with me. Verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. Since when? The children are my children. Since when? The flocks are my flocks. Since when? And all that you see is mine. You see where, what's going on in, the, in between the ears of this man? It's, a, it's amazing to me how out to lunch this guy is. <clears throat> uh, let me find my place. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and then let it be a witness between you and me. Do you hear the deception? It just doesn't get better. You know, imagine if what the text read was, and then Laban said, Jacob, you are right. I'm going to repent before the fear of Isaac and recognize my wrongdoing. It would be so cool to see, but that's not the response. It's not the reaction. Rather, what he says is, Nuh-uh. That's my stuff. It's always been my stuff. I know everything you just said, Jacob, and accusations against me is 100% true, but, but that's my stuff, and, so, um, and those are my kids. So, so let's do this. Let, let's, let's have a covenant. You know, for you, Jacob. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is better for you. What can I give for my kids? Uh, leave us alone. That's what you could do for your kids. But now, listen to what Jacob does. Verse 45. So Jacob took a stone, set it up on a, as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jigar. Yeah, uh, say Hadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Now, what's, what's with that? Well, in Aramaic, uh, Laban is saying a heap of witness. That's what this means, is a heap of witness. So here's this heap we've set up, and this will be a witness to everybody who ever sees it, that you and I have a covenant. We've made a covenant with each other. And Jacob says it in Hebrew, a heap of witness. It means the exact same thing. May God keep an eye on you and on me. Listen to what he says further here. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters... Man, the the gall of this man. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God, what God, Laban? God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set before you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you. So I'm not coming to your turf. And you will not pass over this heap 
and this pillar to me to do harm. Now, this is very fascinating to me. Listen to what Laban says. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And commentators kind of differ on that, whether if he's actually saying these are all different gods, if there is more of a polytheistic perspective coming from Laban, that would fit beautifully with what he is as a pagan worshiper with many different household gods. Listen to Jacob's response. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. I like to call that an awkward farewell. when you think about what brought that joining together, the confrontation that had just taken place, and now they're leaving, and Laban wants to kiss his kids and let them go in peace. Beloved, what a hot mess of a family. Early the next morning, Laban gave farewell and kisses and returned home. No doubt this must have been very, very awkward for his children and grandchildren. Jacob and family are now free to return to his family. But can I remind you who's waiting for him back home? There's a brother who probably hasn't forgotten what happened. Now, I know, I know, 20 years is a long time. But grudges have a tendency to not shrink with time, but to get a lot deeper and a lot more aggressive. And so, yes, Jacob has been set free by Laban, but Jacob by no stretch is out of the woods. He's got all kinds of drama waiting at home for him. So let me draw one point of application from what we have seen in this entire event with this man, okay? So track with me here. I think there's a gospel principle here. You remember where Jacob was at, his lot in life as he came to find a wife, as he came to Laban? Hungry, poor, no real opportunities, no real chances, fleeing for his life from his brother with nothing to show, no possessions, no family, nothing. Great poverty to some extent. It's so fascinating to compare Jacob's circumstances coming to Laban and those as he left Laban. This man arrived hungry, alone, poor. He had nothing but the promises of God. Now, don't don't mishear me there. He had nothing but the promises of God. What more does he need? In the midst of very daunting circumstances... And the lies and deception of Laban, God Almighty protected and provided for Jacob. Jacob is a man who is richly blessed by God's sovereign choice and grace. God is a man who is deeply, richly, profoundly blessed by God's sovereign choice and grace. To be perfectly honest with you, in my study of Genesis, 
um, there are some characters here that I really didn't have a very good grip on of my understanding of the, the storyline. You know, I've read through Genesis, so on and so forth, but never preached through it. I had a good grasp of Abraham, a pretty good grasp of Abraham. Jacob is one that, just to be honest, I didn't have as, as, a, as good of an all-rounded view of this man. And the reason I've been profoundly impacted in my heart by the study with Jacob is that if there was ever a man you could point to that was undeserving of the sovereign grace of God, it's this guy. I mean, except for the person in the mirror you look at every single morning. But you can't look at Jacob and go, oh, I see why God says, Jacob, I loved, Esau, I've hated, because Jacob's really good. No, he's not. Good grief, his name's Cheat. He's a deceiver, a liar, a trickster. And God says, the promise that I've made to Abraham, I have made to you, and I will richly bless you, and I will grow you, mature you, and change you. And nobody could ever say, he's, God's doing that because he deserved God doing that. The, the thing you could argue for that Jacob richly deserves is the wrath of the living God. But rather... God sovereignly, with nobody telling him what to do, pours it on thick and blesses this man. God has continually interceded on Jacob's behalf and will most certainly continue to do so. As he has been faithful to his promises, he has also patiently grown Jacob in his faith and spiritual endurance. Beloved, we have a beautiful picture of the gospel. A beautiful picture of the gospel. God has provided a marvelous way of escape through his son's death upon the cross. God will always be faithful to his word of his promise to his people. Even in spite of all the world's lies and tricks and our own sin, he will continually keep us. There may certainly be rough spots along the way, but those never negate his promise. Now, the cool part is not only does he promise that and will do that, but in the workings, he also devotes time patiently to grow us, to change us. I came to Christ roughly around seven years old. So I'm 37 years old. For 30 years, God in his kindness has been at work, I, I, I believe. I have nothing I can show of why I deserve that. I can't tell God that he owes me. I haven't earned it. Truth be told, don't tell anybody, but I've, I've actually earned his wrath more. And yet he has sovereignly taken, <clears throat> taken Dan Mason's life and said, this will, be, this will be a life where I show my mercy. This will be a life where my glory and my sovereign love will be on display for all to see. And in all of Dan's weaknesses and shortcomings and foolish things he says and does, I will continually show my grace. And so now Jacob is responding home with the promise of God, great riches, and his blessing. Our Lord is at work in us for eternity. So my prayer, beloved, is that we pause this morning to stop and give him all the glory and praise and honor. One thing I have learned from this guy Jacob 
is this man knows where his good comes from. Often we lie to ourselves, we flatter ourselves, and we actually start to think that maybe there's some, a little island of righteousness in us. My good does not come from Dan Mason. Any good in me is the work of the living God. Any good in me is the sovereign, marvelous work of the Spirit of God transforming me, renewing me. And so just as he worked in Jacob, beloved, in a very cool way, you and I, it may feel kind of strange, but you are a masterpiece of the Spirit of God. The great spiritual artist is at work doing the most finest of tuning in your soul because he chose to. If that doesn't result in worship, i got nothing else to say to you guys because that just, that just floors me. It just throws me to the ground to think of the truth of the gospel. So let me... Just stop for a second and pray, okay? I just want to stop and on behalf of myself and our church body, just, just thank God. Father, I pray that you would slay any pride in us. any kind of inkling where we want to give ourselves glory or credit. God, I pray, I pray with all my heart, you'd please protect me from robbing you your glory. Father, the good that is coming from my life is God's doing. I have nothing of myself to show before you this morning, Lord, to brag on. But Lord, everything that is positive in your sight is there to show and reflect that you have kindly, sovereignly made me a brand new God. So Lord, my prayer for PCBC and my prayer for Dan is that we would be a people of great gratitude. Not not a judgmental, harsh people. Lord, not an arrogant people. But a people who are just blown away by what is ours. And the incredible price paid in order to enable us to have you, Father. What a marvelous mystery. May your blessing, Father, be on this church and help us to stay in our lane, know who we are, know why we are the way we are and how we've become this, Lord, and who to thank. For, Father, we were designed to glorify another. And it's in his great and glorious name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, this morning, um, Tim Griffiths, a, a very good friend of mine, um, he's the director of stewardship with Village Missions. Uh, I call him the grand poobah of uh, um, money wisdom, but he's a, uh, he's a steward for, is in charge of the stewardship of finances for Village Missions. And 
honestly has a pretty rough job. He wouldn't tell you that, so that's why I get to. Um, but it's just a, a pretty, I'm going to pop my peas, a pretty precious pillar of village missions. And so, um, Tim, after we sing this last song, would you come up and close the service in prayer? Thanks, brother. Thank you.